Inescapably. Inescapably. Inescapably foreign. Welcome to Without Borders, the podcast for immigrants, expats, third culture children, or anyone else that feels inescapably foreign. Today I'm here with my favorite person in the world. He's been my number one fan uh, since the day he was born, and I've been his number one fan. This is my little brother, Yano Janssens. Nice to be talking with everyone here. It's fun to be on the podcast. Good. By the way, Yano is nervous as fuck. <laughs> he hates talking um, on the phone even. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I brought him on the show today because even though by definition he's not a third culture child in that he didn't live in three different countries uh, before the age of 10, I think he was raised in three different cultures you think so or yeah i mean like definitely raised well with the same parents obviously so within our european and like the latin culture that our parents raised us you're in. a latinish you're a, a latinish that I coined. <laughs> as you coined uh, and then otherwise being born in vernon bc in canada um i was raised there my whole life so definitely like big part canadian culture yeah do you feel just because you were raised within these three different cultures that you had at all an identity crisis or you always felt like, no, I'm, I'm Canadian, but I have a different background? No, I definitely had a identity crisis. Um, I remember when I was a young kid, like my first language was Flemish that I learned. And then when I went to school and, you know, had no need for Flemish no one spoke it <laughs> everyone just spoke English um, so I completely stopped speaking Flemish actually um, well definitely that's like a sign of an identity crisis um, but you were so young when that happened do you feel like that was a subconscious thing where you stopped speaking Flemish or like it was really a conscious decision. Like I don't want to be an outsider. I don't want to speak oh, two languages. Definitely a conscious decision as a kid. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of a means to avoid feeling different. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because for me, I mean, I got bullied. I think more than you did when I was younger, because I was that foreign kid, right? Like. I don't know, so many guys didn't want to hang out with me because I didn't like war games. You know, mm -hmm. Papa and Mama always told us, oh, by the way, <laughs> we're going to say Mama and Papa because we're used to speaking in Flemish together. We are not, we might say Dad or Mom once in a while, but we're used to mixing them up. Um, and he's going to call me Dada, <laughs> which probably sounds weird as fuck for a lot of you. But for me, if he calls me Dolan, it sounds like he's pissed off. So <laughs> he might call me Dada throughout the interview. Um, but wait, where was I? Oh, I forget. You don't remember? <laughs> um, oh, we were just talking about the differences between when I was younger and you were younger about getting bullied, right? So for me... Yeah, I got bullied quite a bit more, but I still wanted to hold on to that Flemish, even though like I knew I was an outsider. Like when, when for you, did you realize, oh no, I do want to hold on to this side of myself? Um, probably more when I was like 12 years old, just with a family visit back to Belgium, um, not being able to speak to my 
to our cousins and like grandparents um in the native tongue of our family like that's definitely a weird feeling where all of a sudden I was like wait what why wouldn't I speak this language um and that was yeah the turning point mm-hmm. and then just as I've become older um and you stop being like a kid and a young teenager where you kind of want to find this independent side and get away with family I feel like as you get older all of a sudden the opposite happens you're like oh i want to yeah. connect more with my family and everything so that's everywhere i started to feel more of a european culture mm-hmm. i also remember when we were younger we often complained about <laughs> family dinners yeah we always had to be home at six o'clock for a family dinner how do you feel about it now <laughs> Um, honestly, family dinner is still kind of like, they were nice to have, but every single night I still think it's just excessive. Um, like it's just so tough to plan around sometimes like, you know, cause you'd have to go home for this family dinner and then cause living in Vernon, like it was pretty spread out city without public transit and stuff. Um, to get us home so we you know had to take the bus home from school to make it for family dinner but then after family dinner it's too late to go hang so it was like well kind of your whole post-school days ruined not like ruined like you spend it with your family but you don't go spend it with your friends or anything yeah Um, luxury problems for sure yeah yeah but i mean i think it's one of the things that i don't know about you but kind of where you start feeling like that foreign kid because all your friends like oh do you want to come hang out no i i gotta be home for dinner Mm -hmm. like oh can't you call and like say you can't make this one dinner and it's like no i can't like yeah gotta be home for and then you end up uh that's one of the reasons i um, feel inescapably foreign that's why i use that word too because now now i'm here in spain and then it's the flip side i'm the one on sundays who's like why can't you meet up with me why do you have to meet with your family every single sunday right uh because i obviously acculturated to north america a bit yeah um but i don't know and obviously there's no better or worse it's just cultural differences but yeah it's like definitely important to have family dinners you see the opposite side in North America with families that never sit down and eat together. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a bit of a disconnect within the families. They're not as close together as like definitely in Spain from what I've seen being here the last two months. Like everyone's super close with their family. It's a tight knit group. Um, yeah. I think that comes from eating together. So it's important to have moderation with it. And yeah. So you've, you've been here for almost two months now. It's one of the longer trips of your life. Yeah. Your, especially solo. Uh, yeah. Is it the... No. No. The longest trip was... Sailing the, trip. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the sailing trip again. Um, I can never get enough of it. Yeah. So I did a sailing trip after high school. I went and worked on a tall ship as a crew member. Um, it was like a working tourist type tall ship but i was just like crew to help give accommodation to the actual paying guests and 
actually work the sails and the boat when the guests weren't in the mood to. Um, but the whole idea was to experience life on these old tall ships and how it would be sailing. It started in St. Martin, the Caribbean, and we sailed to Jamaica and around Cuba, um, up through Bermuda, up through the Bahamas, sorry, to Bermuda, and then across the Atlantic to the Azores and ended in Liverpool. That was a three and a half month trip. Fuck. What, what was yeah. the hardest part of it? Um, the hardest part of it, like probably the first days were definitely hard because it's all old, like hemp style ropes. Um, so when your hands aren't used to it, they just get ripped open and then you're working with salt water in salt water the whole time. So you just have fresh cuts on your hands that get doused in salt water <laughs> and then you got to keep working the line. So like, it's very much, it took a week and a half, two weeks before the skin on your hand, my hands pretty much turned to leather. It was leather. the best you've ever looked though in your life when you came off that ship. Yeah. Yeah. It was good fitness <laughs> for sure. Good. It's good yeah. fitness. Um, yeah, that was tough for sometimes like after Cuba was a little tough and then on the Atlantic too, cause, uh, Cuba, we couldn't get the full stores we needed, like provisional stores for food and everything. Uh, cause they had shortages of their own. So we kind of had to make do and weird tight meals. Um, at the time we definitely caught a lot of fish ourselves and try and like cook fresh fish cause the meat and the fish was in a high shortage. Luckily we were able to get veggies. Um, so until we got to Bermuda, Dude was a little bit iffy. Um, and then across the Atlantic, we just got hit by a storm. So it ended up taking longer than the crossing was supposed to by an extra five days. So towards the end there, like we did have to watch our food because all we needed was one more storm and we wouldn't be able to make it into the Azores. Yeah. We'd be looking at a little bit of trouble. So, yeah. And... Are you still in contact? No. No, none. No. Fuck. Because I remember that was probably one of the most emotional days for us this trip is when we touched the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. Right? And you just kind of broke down all of a sudden just remembering <clears throat> how how special that experience was for you. Yeah. Um, that experience kind of motivated you to study what you're studying now. Right. Marine um, engineering. Yeah. Well, I, I already chose marine engineering before doing the sailing trip. Um, that was more just cause I wanted to travel. Um, and seeing that just seemed like good opportunity to also see if I was comfortable with like living on a boat for months at a time. Um, make sure I didn't get seasick of course, cause it's a terrible idea to go work on a boat if you get seasick. <laughs> Uh, so tested that out, uh, and yeah, but the idea of going to work on boats was already there. What about for anyone else that's curious about living on the ocean? Because obviously a lot of people who are going to tune in on this show are nomads and people that want to travel and let's say they have an experience similar to yours and they think, oh, I'm going to go work on the vessels. What would you say the differences in feelings are compared to? 
working on a tall ship, having that camaraderie versus being an engineer on a ship? Um, but I would say one's work and one's a hobby. Like sailing, like you'd have long days and tough days on a tall ship, but in the end you are on a sailing yacht. Um, yeah, there's tough days, but you're on a sailing yacht. It's not that bad while on an actual vessel, like a bulk carrier or an oil tanker, there's one reason to be there. It's the work. It's a working boat. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's the era of like glorified romantic sailing is over in the commercial times. Mm-hmm. They're just working boats. Yeah. And then after the tall ships, after studying for a few years, you finally came as, came here to see me. <laughs> yeah, after COVID uh, went away so I could finally get on a plane. Yeah. Well, and I know one of the main reasons for coming is to see me. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But what were some of the other motivators for coming to Europe? Um, well, definitely just to reconnect with my European side, like we were talking about earlier, kind of having an identity crisis. Um, felt that just, well, I was in BC for too long. Like I felt I was just losing the European side of myself. Um, I didn't want to lose that side. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, yeah, coming to see you in Spain and being on the old continent, <laughs> um, just, yeah, brought back a sense of being proud to be European. Um, felt good not, even though like still not, I don't speak Spanish, so I still felt foreign within Spain. Um, there's still always kind of a feeling of being back home whenever I'm in Europe. Um, especially I went, yeah, going to Belgium to go see family that feels completely at home, but even just stepping foot within Europe still just has this feeling oh yeah 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 it's a whole different way of thinking about life and everything how would you describe your european side like what makes you feel european and what makes you feel north american um like very like feeling north american i think just as a north american you learn to have this especially growing up in a small town uh, not in the big cities in North America. You just get this appreciation for vastness. Mm-hmm. You just love open, empty space. Um, that's always a side that I feel truly North American. Why I would always want to go back to North America. like Where you go do a thousand kilometer road trip and you see barely anything in between. Other like stunning nature, but you don't see human developments as Mm -hmm. much and stuff like that um yeah love that something you can't do in europe but then that's the beauty about europe is within a thousand kilometers you pass so many different languages and countries and you can see so many different cultures um i think european side also just uh more of an openness towards other cultures and languages because mm-hmm. um, North America it's pretty much only English um, actually I guess, no 
that's wrong. Like, there's French in Quebec, and then I, the States has quite Spanish. a bit of Spanish, yeah. of course. Vancouver Chinese. Yeah, and Chinese. But it, it's it's different. It's different. Yeah. It, yeah. You don't, oh no, it's not as like, yeah, I don't know. Well, I think code switching is prevalent both in North America and here. It's just the difference, as you said, here it's every... 50 kilometers there's a new language sometimes every 10 kilometers there's a new dialect right yeah. it's just not at that same extent yeah yeah and uh how do you feel now now that you've been here for a while do you do you miss north america like are you ready to get the hell out of europe or <laughs> yeah i yeah, know i'm ready to go back to british columbia um that's ready for fresh air um uh, <laughs> I see in nice big forests. Fresh uh, air, the worst air quality in the world right now. The second worst air quality in the world in Van. Yeah, with forest fires right now, but I don't know. Hopefully that's over. Um, oh, just definitely notice like it is home. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like anyone who moves to a different country or goes on vacation, there's normally a point where you miss being at home and having a familiarity. Mm -hmm. um, surprising as it is, I'm also excited to go to grocery stores again in Canada. Um, like Europe, people always say the food in restaurants m normally much better in Europe um, and the cooking cultures are much better, but the produce and the availability of products in North America is just unrivaled. Unrivaled. It's yeah, I can't wait to go to like a supermarket again and just see everything that I want to get. <laughs> and what do you think about the service? Like, do you think the service is better in Europe or better in Belgium, better in Spain, Canada, or pros and cons? Um, yeah, it's definitely different. North America, with the tipping culture, I think the service is incentivized to be better. Uh, so you normally have quicker service, but then... On like the flip side of that, it's more about the money and about turnover. Um, it's ran more like a business when you go like more. I don't, they're all ran like a business when you go to a bar and stuff, obviously. But um, yeah, out in Europe, you just feel. Uh, I, don't, I don't know where I'm going with this. Well, I don't know. To me, it kind of seems. Like, as you said, in, in Canada, the service is faster. The um, servers are usually kind, right? But sometimes it feels a little bit forced and fake. Whereas here, yeah, especially yeah. in Spain, like, servers can be complete dicks. Or they can be the best, right? Because it's always authentic. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the wage discrepancy that plays a role. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here, servers get paid shit. There's no tipping culture. And in North America... You can make bank as a server. Yeah. Right. Well, I don't know about in, in America, but in Canada or in Vancouver, servers can definitely make decent money. Yeah. Uh, and then another thing I wanted to talk about is when you came here, you were definitely feeling a little bit lost, as you said, right? Like wanted to get in touch with your European side. How are you feeling now? Uh, yeah. Better, um, more in, yeah. 
uh, yeah, proud to be European. Um, definitely also more proud actually to be Canadian as well. Why is like, that? I just realized it's a great country to be a part of. Um, it's all like very open-minded country. Um, everything just works super well, actually. Hey, every country you can complain and bitch about things that are happening, um, which obviously people in Canada, we all do. We love to complain about how the services are, but I think so do Spanish people about Spanish services and Belgian people about Belgian services. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just being, whenever you go outside of your country, I feel like you see everything in a different framework and it's like, oh yeah, actually, you know, it's not that bad. It's pretty good. Um, yeah. Yeah. For me, I'm always lost. <laughs> I'm always a little lost and I'm always at home everywhere. It's been like that my entire life. Yeah, I guess for you, though, you never really had one single home, though. Like, no, but... Because how mean, was... Because you'd bounce around three continents before you were four. Yeah. Yeah, five, so I've never... Four or five, yeah. But at this point, I mean, here in Spain, uh, where I met my partner, she's the most supportive partner I can imagine, and I have her as family. But my best friends, who I consider family, are all back in Canada... Of course, you are yeah. there. My parents are there. And <clears throat> before I left, it was actually the first time I really felt a sense of home in Vancouver. And then I just left. Mm -hmm. Like You and I talked about it for the longest time. Oh, you're finally going to come to Vancouver. This is going to be amazing. We're finally going to be with each other every day. Cause... I know. And then you left a month after I arrived. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, I still don't really completely understand my decision. Uh, again, <laughs> inescapably for it. It's like there's this other force that just keeps me, keeps putting me in uncomfortable positions. And maybe that's because I think that the greatest work created never comes from comfort. It always comes from discomfort. Mm -hmm. But all the work I've done has failed. <laughs> well, not failed. I mean, everyone that's read my book, everyone that's read my work, everyone always gives good feedback, whether it be friends or people that I don't know. But it's always been a financial failure. I mean, at this point, I don't even want to, I don't even want to talk about the numbers I've put into everything I'm doing. But now with this podcast, with the writing, with this project, Without Borders, right? withoutborders.fyi, with this website, I'm doing everything that's in me, right? Um, with the book, I feel like I put 70% of myself into it and then it kind of fails and you see some of the shit that becomes successful. Like sometimes it's just garbage that gets successful and then you feel like less than garbage, right? But it's always been like 70% of myself or like 60% of myself, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And then now it's like I'm putting 100% of myself into this project. 
And it's the first time I'm scared. Mm-hmm. You know, like, what's, what's going to happen if I fail this time? And I think for me, like, the one person in my life where like if everything I'm passionate about, everything I put myself into doesn't work out, it's like you that I'm holding on to. You know, like I have my best friends, my partner, but I don't know. Like, I know you've often told me, oh, I wish I had a passion like you did, right? And I have this passion, I have this thing that I just completely put myself into. And it's kind of scary because I get so depressed sometimes where it's like, you know, I don't really care if I die. I would be okay with it. Remember as a kid, I loved turbulence on planes. <laughs> my mom and papa would always say it was like a roller coaster. Like I'd, I'd just be <laughs> laughing and everyone else would be sitting there sweating. And then I remember getting a little bit older, starting to realize <laughs> what a plane actually is and then getting that fear. And then over the past few years, it's the first time where there's like been extreme turbulence. And I almost feel relieved. Like, oh, fuck, it's finally just going to be over. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, yeah. And then I was like, oh, okay, the battle's over. I don't have to keep putting everything I have into my passion. But then I think about my friends, think about my partner, family, and then you. You're the image that always like keeps me like, you know what? Even if you keep failing, you got Yado in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess like with this prod, like stepping into an abyss is always scarier into the new, new waters that you go into. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, we can end it on that note. <laughs> Y'all know and I, we got uh, some scotch here. We're pulling a Joe, <laughs> Joe Rogan, <laughs> um, except, well, I guess he usually drinks bourbon. Um, but thanks for tuning in everyone today. Uh, it's obviously a little bit of a different episode here with my brother. Uh, if you are an English learner, please, uh, check out the website withoutborders.fyi. You can uh, access the transcripts there. I also provide language notes and things like that. And if you just want to discuss, please become a subscriber. And if you'd like to be on the show, please reach out. All right, thanks for listening. And Yano, thanks for being on the show because I know you don't like talking like this. (laughs) All right, love you, man. Love you too.